Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikucci and you are listening to the Jazzes podcast. Everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikucci here, welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call the Jazz is Podcast, and it's brought to you in conjunction with Jazz is Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz is editors, and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. Today we have the pleasure of sitting down with the extraordinary pianist and composer Aaron Deal. Join us as we embark on a captivating journey through his musical evolution, exploring how he masterfully weaves together an array of sounds, styles, and genres to craft a unique sonic tapestry that captivates audiences worldwide. Embrace yourselves for a musical treat as we shine a spotlight on his latest album, a groundbreaking interpretation of the Zodiac Suite. A landmark work by the visionary and groundbreaking Mary Lou Williams, in a collaboration with the renowned orchestral collective The Knights and some very special guests. Lots to talk about, so let's get to it. Fire up an audiotini and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. This is the Jazzes Podcast. Hello, Aaron. Welcome to the Jazzes Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.、Uh, first off, you know it's kind of a tradition at this podcast to begin by collecting memories. What I like to ask to break the proverbial ice、uh, to any of the artists that I speak with is to kind of share a memory with us from early childhood of when they awakened to the beauty and power of music, and maybe also when they started to. You know, think that they'd love to become a musician when they grew up. Now, do you have one such memory that you could share with us? I don't have a specific memory per se.、Uh, maybe a collection of memories. For example, when I、uh, would go to church with my、um, mother and my and her parents, my grandfather sang in the choir, and I remember the the beauty of the choral music. And、um, you know the sound of the church organ, and and just being fascinated by the sounds, and and、uh, I don't know, being affected in some way by the music. My my parents told me、um, years ago about a, a time when、uh, they took me to some kind of an event, and、uh, there was a band playing. I was about three years old. And、uh, my mom told me specifically that she just sat me in front of the band, and I was sort of in like a trance, if you will, you know, being a rambunctious three-year-old. She sat me in front of this band, and I, I, I just, like, I suppose, the, the entire time I was really transfixed by the music. And then there were just other times where um, their um, parents had a grand,、um, a baby grand piano. In the living room, and then my grandfather would come、uh, and play. He was a musician. He played trombone and piano. He would he would come sometimes to play, and I was always 
very um, fascinated by what he was playing. They were usually standards. A couple times my, my folks had a party like around Christmas time or the holidays and my grandfather would play on the piano and there would be a, uh, a guy who would sing, you know, again, standards. I think a family friend who, who sang a little bit. And, and, and so I, I was just always fascinated by the sounds of music. You know, I read that you uh, started to learn uh, the piano as early as seven years old. Is that right? That's, that's correct. I started playing when I was seven. And I also read it was classical piano at the start. But was uh, jazz also something that you started experimenting with at the same time? No, I didn't really get into jazz until much later uh, in my um, mid-teens. Uh, I always had a fascination with, well, my, my, my parents had a pretty good CD size CD collection and all kinds of music from R&B at Stevie Wonder and um, Whitney Houston and you know, I had some, some CTI records from like the 70s, 60s or 70s. And they had jazz, sort of more mainstream, straight ahead jazz, if you will. And they also had classical music. So uh, there's a box set of the um, Brandenburg and Charity by Jan Sebastian Bach. And um, I was really mesmerized by these pieces and just their complexity, but all their, also their beauty, their melodic and harmonic beauty and the sort of the richness of the contrapuntal textures. I was always really... Um, interested in that so i started playing piano you know when i was seven and then it wasn't until yeah my mid-teens uh, when i really got into jazz although i would kind of um i would kind of uh noodle around with some some standards like uh, take the a train or satin doll that my grandfather taught me uh, when i was a kid but i didn't know how to improvise uh, at all for, for that matter so um there was an introduction to jazz with my grandfather, but I, I didn't really employ the practice until you know much later. And when you did kind of uh, get you know increasingly interested with that, uh, you know, so much of your work has been about the bridging of the two worlds, really, the classical and the jazz world. Uh, would that be fair to say? And where does that? Where do you feel that that desire to bridge those two worlds come comes from? I mean, I don't even know it's about bridging the two worlds as much as it's about incorporating the types of music that I love into my own sound and my own approach. I think uh, for me, you know, using all the elements at my disposal of music in order to, to make a, uh, a sonic statement, you, you, you can, you, there, there's always, there are, there are always um, elements from some any sort of um, genre, if you will, um, to uh, to employ into the music, and I think um, some big influences early on for me were people like Art Tatum and uh, Duke Ellington, but also loved you know, Andra Schiff and um, Vladimir Ashkenazi and and the music of, of Bach and the music of Beethoven and Chopin. So for me, it's all kind of, you know, how, how to use all of these, these colors and these sounds and these compositional approaches and employ those things in my music or in the music that I play. 
and someone like John Lewis is, was very influential on, on me. Um, and later on when I moved to New York, uh, of course, John Lewis was the music director of the Modern Jazz Quartet. And he was very well known for so, sort of employing all of these different aspects of uh, both um, the European tradition and um, the African-American tradition. So uh, I don't I don't even know if I consider it a bridging as much as a, just sort of a synthesis of various influences. And, you know, over the years, you worked with so many great artists, you know, your collaborations with uh, Cecil McLaurin, uh, Savant, Benny Golson. But you also worked and toured with Wynton Marsalis, who would be another artist. You know, I've had the pleasure of actually seeing him live. And it's amazing to hear him kind of work with he's another artist who works with different textures, different music, different styles and genres. Was that experience uh, important for you? Cause I think you were playing with them, you know, again, early on in your, in your professional career, right? You must've been 17 years old, 18. Yeah, I was 17. I went on a tour with him for about a month, I think in Europe. And then we also did some um, concerts in uh, new England. I think we might've played Tanglewood even. Um, like it's been so long ago. It was twenty years ago, actually twenty years ago to basically to the to, to the day. It's just, I moved moved here. I think August thirty first uh, was when I moved formally moved into the Juilliard dorm. So that's a separate issue. But uh, Winton, of course, is incredibly influential on in, you know his compositional breadth from his small group works with his septet, which I think are some some of the best small group writing in uh in you know, a 20th century music as far as i'm concerned but then also his um later on his compositions for orchestra all rise uh, recently the jungle his violin concerto he's always fascinated me from a compositional standpoint how he's able to incorporate all of these elements fluidly and and you know it's not just about the music itself, it's also about the musicians and what they're capable of doing and understanding what orchestral musicians, you know, what their language is, and then sort of our music, you know, how, how to incorporate that into, into that sound and, 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 and capitalize on all of the colors that are um, available uh, in the orchestral sounds. I think that's what's very fascinating to me and, and, and just kind of witnessing how Winton over the years has refined his sense of orchestration. I think um, you know, that's also very interesting. Uh, I think it's something that you, of course, like with anything, you get better the more you do it. So to hear a piece like All Rise, which was like, I think in 1999, which was commissioned by the New York Phil, Kurt Mazur, and then hearing the piece like um, his violin concerto or the jungle, you and you can really hear the sort of the differences in, in terms of his experience and in, in, in orchestration. Uh, but jumping ahead to present times, you know, the Zodiac Suite is your f- fourth release for Mac Avenue. And of course, it's also a celebration of the legacy of Mary Lou Williams. So before uh, we talk about the project itself, I wanted to talk about her and really just simply ask you, because I love uh, to use this opportunity uh, and this podcast series to also talk about the greats of the past just simply ask you, you know, who was Mary Lou Williams and how did you personally discover, first discover her music? Oh, Mary Lou Williams was an absolute pioneer. I mean, and she uh, experienced pretty much the entirety of the evolution of what we call jazz music. 
she started playing in vaudeville in the um, show called Hits and Bits, I think, uh, in her early years. And she might even have been a teenager by then, uh, if I recall. And then she joined later the Andy Kirk Band. Her husband, John Williams, where she, she gets uh, the name Williams from, because um, her original name is uh, Mary Elfrida Scruggs. John Williams played in the Andy Kirk band, and 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 so that was her sort of entree into that uh, ensemble. And in fact, she was she wasn't a permanent member initially. She was basically like a substitute, and then ultimately she got got in the band. But you know, she had a lot of experience with that in Kansas City, traveling um, traveling with the band around the United States, and and then um, eventually in the forties. Uh, settled in, in New York where she you know, met younger musicians who ended up being sort of the, uh, the faces of what they call bebop, I mean, Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, Bud Powell. And so they, they really looked to her, especially someone like Thelonious Monk really looked to her for guidance and musical advice and they valued her opinion. And you know, she was, she was really a person, um, and her life of music represented transformation. She was constantly transforming her approach and being open and 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 um, being being uh, open and welcoming to sort of the burgeoning styles uh, that were emerging. And so, the Zodiac Suite really is one small part of her evolution, but a significant one. I mean, she was very influenced by Duke Ellington and wrote a number of arrangements for him over the years and heard black bat brown and beige in 1943 and and wanted to try her hand at a at a long um at a more expansive long form work and uh ultimately that's how the zodiac came around in 1945 she recorded for um moses ash ash records and um there was a lot of success. I think there was a pretty good success with that recording. It was well received, and you know, each movement is dedicated to a different zodiac sign. But also, her friends who had those signs, so like Duke Ellington was a Taurus, Benny Goodman and Jim and I. She also had like, uh, Aquarius, for example, was dedicated to FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, the president, um, and uh, so. She, uh, it was a very personal piece for her, I believe, and also representative of the direction she was going in in terms of her various influences, including that of people like uh, Paul Hindemith and Igor Stravinsky and Arnold Schoenberg. And so she uh, had a, a chamber ensemble arrangement, which is this is this album is this arrangement of the chamber ensemble orchestration. And uh, that was premiered on New Year's Eve in 1945. There were mixed reviews about it, and, and sort of um, the consensus, I think, was that she was frustrated with the fact that it did not get enough rehearsal time. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, uh, you can hear it on the, the recording. There's a recording, a recording of the actual premiere. There's a lot of sloppiness in the ensemble. And so she never revisited this arrangement in her lifetime. And so that was the impetus behind recording this uh, during the pandemic. I, I found this, the score and the parts that were uh, published and I decided maybe to 
try my hand and seeing what could be done with it. And, and there was a lot of cleanup work that had to be done even with the published uh, score because there were still a lot of mistakes and errors. And it definitely was a pretty big task. And, and I wouldn't have really been able to do this without the help of the Knights Orchestra and Eric Jacobson. Um, it's a marvelous um, chamber orchestra and uh, mostly people from um, Gen Y, I guess Gen Y, Gen X. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, very open to, to different approaches and they don't just play the, the canon repertoire, but they also collaborate with many types of uh, artists. So this was uh, a perfect ensemble for this kind of project. And we spent a good, better part of a year, year and a half, and even during the pandemic and all of the restrictions, figuring out this, this arrangement and how we could make it work and how we could perform it and ultimately record it. So this um, was the result of that, of this collaboration between myself and my trio and some soloists, including, including Brandon Lee and Michaela Bennett, Evan Christopher, Nicole Glover and the Knights Orchestra. track you are hearing is from Zodiac Suite by Aaron Deal, which marks the artist's fourth full-length release for Mac Avenue Records. We'll talk more about the album in a moment, but first, I wanted to remind you that if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz A's Vinyl Club, a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz A's editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of Jazz A's, jazzays.com, and these Jazz A's podcasts. Go to jazzays.com and click on Join Vinyl Club. And now, back to our conversation with Aaron Deal. And you also worked uh, quite closely with the Mary Lee Williams Foundation, is is that right? Yes, I mean, uh, I knew Father Peter O'Brien, who was executive director of the, the Mary Lou Williams Foundation, and he was the he was really the one to have introduced me to her music, sort of serendipitous, because I grew up, I mentioned church, uh, church earlier, I grew up in a predominantly black Catholic church in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, when I moved to New York, uh, I finally settled uh, as a member of uh, St. Joseph of the Holy Family in Harlem and uh, predominantly black and Latinx um, congregation. And Father O'Brien, I met at Juilliard my first year. There was a Mary Lou Williams concert that took place. And I wasn't a participant in that concert, but I did meet Father O'Brien and uh, briefly. And then years later, at St. Joseph of the Holy Family, this is around 2006, I suppose now, uh, Father O'Brien was there as a guest priest, and he remembered me, and uh, I was 
playing for masses there at the time. And he came up with the idea of, of um, incorporating some of Mary Lou Williams' uh, liturgical music into the mass there, including her, her mass for the Lenten season. We did a few collaborations over the years, uh, Father O'Brien and myself, including a centennial concert for Williams in 2010, May, I think it was on her birthday, May 8th, 2010. It marked what would have been her 100th birthday. And uh, unfortunately, Father O'Brien died in 2015 and uh, I sort of lost con- uh, contact with the foundation. Um, Jerry Allen was uh, head of the foundation, and then she passed away, I think, maybe a year later, a year or two later. I lost touch with the foundation, and, 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 uh, and within the last year, I've been able to reconnect with them. Um, a wonderful man named Herb Jordan, who's uh, now the head of the foundation, and it's been um, really great reconnecting with the folks there and, um, you know, sharing in our passion for Mary Lou Williams and making sure that the world – uh, under, understands her significance, understands her contributions, what she she gave, uh, and she sacrificed a lot uh, in 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 uh, giving her her music and sharing her music. Um, she had a conversion to Catholicism in the uh, early mid fifties, partly resultant of uh, um, of a break she she needed to have from the music industry and, and all of its uh, challenges. So she wrote a number of really wonderful sacred works. Hopefully I'll have a chance at some point to record them. Um, I recorded with Damien Sneed, Mass for the Lenten Season. Uh, but unfortunately, it was never released because of, of, of Father uh, O'Brien's passing. So maybe there'll be an opportunity to release um, release those recordings if you know, the Master still exists or maybe re-record them. So. Uh, there's a lot of work by her that still needs to be uh, unearthed and and shared with the world for sure. But uh, just to return to the Zodiac Suite, because you uh, described it uh, as, uh, I believe, a significant work within the artistic evolution of Mary Lou Williams. But I also wanted to talk about how, you know, can, can the same thing be said about your own musical evolution? Does it feel like it's a significant step uh, within, you know, this evolution, uh, the evolution of your own musical pursuits, but also uh, ambitions? Sometimes I look to, to, to Mary for guidance through her music and through her story. I mean, I can't say there's an exact parallel, but you know, Mary Mary's objective throughout her career seemed to simply be to be allowed to play her music with great musicians and not be relegated to roles that undermine her abilities as a serious, dedicated practitioner of her craft. And um, there are all kinds of stories about her being pigeonholed as a you know a, a woman who plays you know, th- this music and sort of the, the, the contrast, the comparing and contrasting of what it means to be a man playing the music and what it means to be a woman and, you know, um, especially at that time and being a black woman and being in, 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 in having so many disadvantages and all. And so despite all of that, I mean, she, she didn't want to be simply reduced to that. She wanted be she wanted to be accepted on um, the terms of being a great musician and composer 
you know, she was constantly challenged throughout her life. And I think she's really a, a role model in the art of self-reliance and resilience. Someone like her is an important reference in understanding that uh, it really is a long game in, 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 in this vocation of, 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 of uh, music making and uh, that it's essential to continue to, to be encouraged and in working on the Zodiac Suite, especially, has been a, a has given me a, my own boost of um, excitement and uh, dedication to this craft, and 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 having the opportunity to 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 collaborate with many many great musicians. You know, it's there's there's nothing better than that. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I actually have another question. Maybe I'll save it for later because I also wanted to ask you about the theme of uh, astrology and the zodiac and how you creatively connected with that while working on the, on the project. Um, you know, to be honest, I'm not like a, a big, uh, devotee of the, the whole astrological signs. I mean, they're fascinating to me, but I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, and neither was Mary Lou Williams, honestly, from, from what I've understood. Now, I always thought that she had, she, she read some, I think some literature on astrology and everything, but I think it was more like it was, it was more of a way to sort of dedicate her, these compositions to her friends. And, and just, I think there's just a general interest in astrology that people have. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a very, very smart, in my estimation and hooking people into the world of music because everyone, um, it's like, Oh, I'm a Libra. I'm a, I'm a Aries. And, you know, I was born on such and such a date. And so there's sort of, it's sort of like an entry, a gateway drug, if you will, yeah. <laughs> into, into the music. But, um, I'm a Virgo. I don't know. Some people say that I'm, I exhibit very uh, characteristic traits of a Virgo, but I, I can't say that I'm um, an expert on astrology by any, by any means at this point, even after working so long on the Zodiac Suite. I, I actually also want, you know, it's difficult to kind of uh, uh, single out different individual tracks from the record because it's all, they're all really fascinating. But I wanted to talk about, I guess, the, the conclusive track. Uh, of the record where it's the, the the opera moment of the album uh, where there is also these vocals. And, and I wanted to ask you about uh, working with that because we, we talked about maybe, you know, the, the fusion of different sounds and genres. It, that's something that maybe you don't hear. I mean, at least I personally don't, haven't heard as much. And I wanted to know how, how you worked to include the operatic element within that, that composition. Well, that was something that was originally envisioned by Williams. I mean, it's on the the original premiere. Pisces um, is the piece of which you're speaking, and uh, there's a folk singer, um, Hope Foy, who um, sang at that premiere. An interesting story about the lyrics, specifically. There, there in the manuscript, there's no record of the lyrics that they're not written in they must have been added later and it's presumed that the lyrics were written by Mary Lou Williams at the time the publisher was preparing um, to release this score 
they were trying to figure out what exactly the lyrics were because it's somewhat inaudible sometimes on the recording. I mean, this was a fairly uh, rugged recording um, of the premiere, so it wasn't always very clear what um, Hopefoy was singing. So they contacted her, people at the publisher contacted her, and she was living, I think, somewhere in California at the time, and um, she was very old, but she was able to supply them with her recollection of what the, the lyrics were. You know, that's how this vocal part came to be. As far as, you know, the, the, the elements of opera, I mean, the, 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 actually the, the woman who sang on this recording with the Knights, this is Michaela Bennett, who I've gotten to know over the years, is a fantastic soprano and um, she's done all kinds of collaborations uh, from you know, people like Gabe Kahane to John Adams uh, to uh, all kinds of work in musical theater. And she's, um, she really has both the elements of, of opera and a deep understanding of musical theater that I think is very rich. And I thought she was the perfect um, voice uh, for this this movement, this last movement. I wanted to ask you also, because I read in a statement uh, in a press release on the album that you said that it's important to keep advocating on behalf of these artists who are no longer with us and uh, keep their music in people's ears for generations to come. And this is something that I like to bring up in this uh, in this podcast series you know, so I'd love to ask you too to elaborate on this statement. Uh, why do you feel that it's it's important? Well, because I, it's important because we have more context for understanding what it means to be who we are. You know, I feel like our interactions as human beings, our the common culture that we share, the different cultures that we um, that we have, or you know, these these things ultimately evolve but at the core of it we're we're we're, we're fundamentally all <laughs> the same throughout history and when you, you see a composition like the zodiac suite it's, and you understand that that was a certain moment in in mary lou williams life in her sort of comp um co compositional aspirations I under also understand that uh, that she's uh, she's someone who really can could speak to many different aspects of the character of human emotion of of the the feeling that's so important in 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 this music and she was able to even with her evolution she was able to keep those things. Those, those essential elements. I mean, she always wanted to keep the black folk tradition in her music, uh, whether it was stride as early as 1930 with nightlife or whether it was something much, much later in the 60s and 70s. And she always kept those roots there. And I think we're talking about unearthing some of the music that was, you know, could have been written decades ago. I find that there's just still a common, there's a common thread that's, that's always there between the music that was created then and 
uh, some of the music that's created now. And uh, it's always finding those connections that I think are important. So I think it's both essential to to have new works and to celebrate people who are creating new works and sort of finding their path and their voice, but also to not forget about all the people who um, who contributed uh, before us, our, our, our musical ancestors, and to celebrate them and to learn from them and to always remember how essential they are to the foundation of, of, of our musical language. Uh, and in closing, I'd just love to ask you as well, what is the plan now that, you know, the album at the time of recording, it's not out yet, but it might be when the podcast is actually out there for the people to listen to. But what's the plan now? Uh, is there going to be much traveling with it? Uh, and uh, yeah, like, are there any live iterations of the piece plan that you can share with us? Well, we're going to Indianapolis. Uh, well, when I say we, it's uh, my my ensemble um, trio specifically, and we're playing with a chamber group in Indianapolis. And we have, um, I think, next summer we have a, a something with the Knights in Caramore. And I think we might even be playing. Um, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I might be playing some of this with the Knights at Carnegie during a residency that they have Carnegie Hall that they have, a residency they have at Carnegie um, next, I think early next year. Um, so, I mean, we've had a number of opportunities over the last two years, even, I mean, including Cleveland Orchestra, Philadelphia Orchestra, the New York Phil streamed it early on. I mean, uh, uh, around March, 2021 is when I first uh, had a crack at it with uh, at least four movements. So this is a this is a project that hopefully will have some legs here in the future, and hopefully not just with me. I hope other people have an interest in this particular arrangement and want to program it for their ensembles or and uh, symphony orchestras. So I, I hope that this particular album and um, the efforts that we've made both the Knights and myself and uh, in, in getting this piece out there. And, um, you know, hopefully it'll have a uh, some longevity. Aaron, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. hope you enjoyed my conversation with Aaron Deal and I remind you that his new album The Zodiac Suite is available now on Mac Avenue Records. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out our Jazz A's Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzes.com and click on Join Vinyl Club for more. 
And as music from the Zodiac Suite plays us out, I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazz Ace podcasts. Our print magazine, including our recently released Fall 2023 issue, which focuses on women in jazz, including articles on Mary Lou Williams herself, Dorothy Ashby, but also Chris Davis, Cecilia Smith, and many more. And other great content available to you on our regularly updated website, jazzaze.com. And if you like what you see, you can always subscribe for more. Till the next time, this is Matt McCucci signing off. See you soon. Music